So we have two shiurim left, Mazad Hashem, until we hit Oshana, which is Mamash right around the corner. Oshana is, is right here. And I feel like it's important to bring out some messages of Teshuvah, some understanding, some concepts, how to deal with the world around us, the people in the world around us, Mazad Hashem. So this whole topic of Teshuvah, not terror, surrounds a letter which parts of it I've quoted elsewhere, most famously in my video, Hashem, Save Us from Those Rabbis. But also when I was in the UK, I mentioned a snippet of that letter in my shiur that I gave in Rabbi Kadaz, Berakneset, over there. And uh, Baruch Hashem, I wanted to do that letter in full, but also in context. And then begin means to understand, in general, the ways of Teshuvah, the ideal ways of Teshuvah, and perhaps the lesser ideals lesser ideal ways of Teshuvah as well. I want to just remind you that if you at any point in time you want to share something, say something, ask something, please make sure to uh, do so. Just pipe on up. That way I can hear you and know that you're there. There's this brand of, I don't want to call it Jewish leadership, but let's say Jewish preachership, which is very, very into this fire and brimstone, everyone's going to hell, everyone is uh, going to suffer in the afterlife, everyone is a wicked uh, criminal, everybody is an avariah, and everybody, there's a certain type of uh, Torah that's out there. And again, it's uh, been coming up in public conversation. I never deal directly, I try not to deal directly with such an approach, but I won't lie to you and say that this approach has no roots and no sources in Judaism. Unfortunately, there are very many places in which a person can find such ideas or such concepts mentioned by different rabbis and different leaders and different chachamim and different places and different times. But today's shi'ul is intended to show that the retort back of such people and such communities and such followers, that somehow those of us who don't condemn everyone to hell those of us who don't scare everyone straight, I don't know if you have this TV show in the UK, but there's this terrible uh, show here in uh, the United States uh, called Scared Straight. They take kids that are having problems and they put them in the most dysfunctional institution that exists in the United States, and that's the prison system in the United States, and they scare them straight. You want to see what's going to happen to you if you keep this up? And I don't know, you know, I, I'm not sure how much of it works. If it's anything like our criminal justice system in the United States, that means that probably the vast majority of them end up right back where they started. And uh, I, don't, I don't have high hopes for, for rehabilitation, especially not of youth when throwing them in a, in a dungeon with a bunch of criminals. The answer is, if you don't scare people straight, so you don't really care about Shabbat, you don't really care about Kashrut, you don't care about the Jewish people and Torah mitzvot, and I believe that the opposite is true. Yes, we care. And we care all that much more than you do. And because of that, it's not just important what we say, what we scream about, but also how we say what we say, and how we don't scream the things that we say, and, and the intentional, intentional approach of our Chachamim to deal with people, with, in the words of the Rambam, I should have brought this Rambam in the source sheet, <coughs> To bring people close with avutot shel ahava, with ropes of love. And that includes ourselves. 
when doing teshuvah, there's a tendency to do teshuvah in such a way that it's quick. You know, the world that we live in, everybody wants everything quick. You live in an instant world, instant oatmeal, instant soup mix, instant, everything comes instantly. People also expect their avodat Hashem, their closeness with the creator of the universe to happen instantly. And there are certain things in the world that you can, you can have happen to you instantly. But things that happen instantly almost always only last for an instant. I once had a person, someone that I love very much, respect very much, who for whatever reason their car had some technical issues, and I'm not exaggerating if I told you, that every time they turned off their vehicle, they had to jumpstart it again. So much so that they would carry around a special battery pack so that every time they turned their car, they could jumpstart their car. Now, at a certain point in time, instead of trying to jumpstart people, you hope that you can either change a battery, you can uh, fix something so that in the long run, things will last better, work properly. The same thing is true when we're involving ourselves here before Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippurim. There's this tendency that we've got to cram. There's three weeks left. We have no time before Yom Hadin. What are we going to do? And we start scaring ourselves into doing Teshuvah. Because if we don't, we're going to run out of time. If we don't, we're going to stand in front of a Baruch If we don't, if we don't, if we don't. Instead of focusing on how we properly should approach HaKadosh Baruch The Talmud Bavli in Masechet Yoma shares with us an interesting teaching. Amma Resh Lakish. Who is Resh Lakish? I'm going to do this to you until every name we have in the book we're going to get down. The reason is we have to know who we're talking about when we speak about them. Someone tell me anything about Resh Lakish. What is Resh Lakish? Say it again. Who did you mention? I couldn't hear. Resh Lakish. So I understand he was a former criminal of some description that became a became a scholar. Exactly. A gladiator. He was he was a, a violent criminal, not just a, a criminal, a bandit. It was a listim. He had a gang of thugs that would roam around and. Rob people, I don't know whatever else they did to people. Uh, Daniel, you said gladiator. Where did, where did you find mention of Rosh Lakish as the gladiator? I'm curious. That's always what I remember being told. Interesting. Interesting. I, don't, I, I can't possibly back that up. Okay, no, if I know, let's look into it. I'm, you know, with a name, Rosh Lakish is, is the head of the bandits. I mean, he, wasn't, he wasn't known for his great friends he hung around. Rosh Lakish was a person who was... He was, he was known, he was a common criminal. Everyone knew him and feared him. Resh Lakish is a famous story, if you recall. How does Resh Lakish do Teshuvah? Resh Lakish is standing on the side of a mountain or on a hill somewhere. And he looks down into the river. Very good. And he saw Rabbi Yochanan bathing in the river. But he saw him from the back. And he assumed this was some beautiful woman who was taking a bath. And he was running down the hill in order to uh, have his way with her. And as soon as he turns around Rabbi Yochanan, he realizes this is not a lady, this is a man. And Rabbi Yochanan utilizes this moment. It's a very unique piece of Agadah. And let's say that the real conversation surrounding this piece should be done in its own shiur, in its own context, and discuss everything that happens in the story. Rabbi Yochanan turns around and says, Slow down! Resh Lakish 
if you do Teshuvah, I have a sister who is just as beautiful as I am. And if you show yourself to be a good person, I'm more than happy to set up a Shidduch between you and my sister, and you two should get married. And Elias Shachir says, if there's a sister as beautiful as you, yada, I'm coming to the Ben Midrash. The whole story is an is interesting story. And again, I have to remember the Agadot Chazal are meant to be understood uh, the way Agadot Chazal are meant to be understood. And Elias Shachish comes to the Ben Midrash. He does Teshuvah. Not only does he do Teshuvah, but there are a few famous things of Elias Shachish that show you in which way a person should do Teshuvah. The first and most important is Elias Shachish doesn't change his name. He probably has a real name, not the head of the bandits. So why does he keep this name Resh Lakish? A symbol of his repentance. Very good. And you should know, a symbol of repentance, I've always had this question, which is the Rambam says that one of the Dachei Teshuvah, one of the ways in which a person must repent, is to take on a new name. It means to change their former identity. It's why uh, someone who's a Ger Tzedek, takes a Jewish name. Really, really, the way that it would work is any person who does Teshuvah properly would take a new name. I guess all of us are so busy doing Teshuvah that by the time we finish the year, we'd have 30 or 40 different names uh, to change. We just practically don't do that unless it's a very extreme scenario. But Elish Lakish seemingly takes on this name to show you that unlike other people who do Teshuvah and try to hide their past, they try to distance themselves from who they were, there is some kind of acceptance that I am who I am because of where I come from. I am Resh Lakish. I mean, that's who I was. Today I'm a Chacham, that's great. But I'm not going to cover up who I was. That's what led me to where I am today. I will tell you that I don't blame everyone in the Jewish community for sometimes hiding their past. Uh, you know, there's an ideal. The ideal is like what we say in Amidah. Uh, in my Berakneset, when someone gets an Aliyah to the Torah, and they're a Ger Tzedek, they've converted to Judaism, the people in my Kilah, the Gerim, insist to be called Ben Avraham Avinu. I don't want to be known as Ben Avraham. Avraham, everybody could be an Avraham. Ben Avraham Avinu. I'm the only one in this whole Berakneset whose Yichus goes back to Avraham Avinu. I don't know about you guys. My father's here, this is the Shewer, so I'm, my father's a pretty good Yichus to have too. But listen, even he would agree, not as good as Avraham Avinu. This is what the Rambam writes in the famous letter to Ovadia, Ovadia the convert, Ovadia Hagel, who reaches out to him, that the Jewish community was tormenting him, his rabbi specifically. So there's nothing new, by the way. Whenever you see uh, bad things happen, just know that Shalom HaMelech says that there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, this what was, what was, will always be. And the Rambam says, what do you mean? Not only should, is your rabbi wrong, but you should know that you have a Yichus. You are the son of Avraham Avinu, something that we don't have. That's an ideal. Unfortunately, in the world in which you and I live, the Jewish community is very far from being ideal. And because it's far from being ideal, very often the things we'll share with the community, uh, you know, here in America, when, when a person gets arrested, they have Miranda rights. And uh, they, they tell them, everything you say or do can and will be used against you in a court of law. And I was once in a legal seminar, and they said, it's very important to understand this. Never do they say can and will be used to support you in a court of law. Anything you say or do can and will be used against you. That's the only thing we're going to use is things that can be used against you. The same thing with the Jewish community. Almost everything you will share about yourself in the Jewish community can and will be used against you in whatever opportunity they have to use it against you, against your children, against coming into schools, but they Knesset, whatever it's going to be. Resh Lakish clearly lived in a better Ben in which he could say, hey, I am who I am because I am, I am Resh Lakish. That's what led me to this place of Emet. 
There's another famous midah, another famous character trait of Rish Lakish. His chavruta for the rest of his life was none other than Rabbi Yochanan, his brother-in-law. And it was famous that when he would study Torah with his brother-in-law, he would argue with him. They would say they would fight much. They were like enemies fighting with each other. One day, Rish Lakish died. And Rabbi Yochanan was left without a study partner. Rabbi Yochanan is the, one of the greatest chachamim in his generation. He's looking for a study partner. And he just can't find somebody who fits. Why? Everybody he brings to sit with him in the Bermidash, Rabbi Yochanan says something, and his chavruta says, yeah, of course, Rabbi, of course you're right. And he says, yeah, Rabbi, that's a great idea. It's wonderful, Rabbi. Everything they've been telling, wonderful, Rabbi. You're great, Rabbi. Amazing. You're always right, Rabbi. And he couldn't find a person who would argue with him. He couldn't find a person who would debate them. He couldn't find a person who would say, Rabbi, you're wrong. You're full of it. You don't know what you're talking about. Resh Lakish, precisely, maybe, because he didn't come from the Bedouin Dash, he had this attitude of, hey, I don't care who you are, but you're wrong. And I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. And this attitude is something Rabbi Yochanan missed. You know, there's a, my wife comes from a Hasidic family like real Hasidic family. So whenever I go to Israel, always part of the visit to Israel, visit her parents, visit her brother, and then go visit the Rebbe of the Hasidut. That happens to be the Rebbe of the Karliner Hasidim is a very unique personality. doesn't really fit the mold of all the other Rebbe's that are floating around there. Yeah, you can email the Rebbe, you, 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 you communicate with him about things that other people don't know about. I went to the Rebbe once, and, and we said, we spoke, and we talked, and... He, now I was now in Yerushalayim in January. And he turns to my son and he says, "Tell me, how's the San Diego Zoo?" So my son Achanan tells the you know, we're in this yichidut uh, here with the, the Rebbe. And my son tells the Rebbe, "Oh, it's great." And the Rebbe says, "What's your favorite animal in the San Diego Zoo?" And I'm saying, "We're talking now the Rebbe, but the animals in the zoo is a polar bear." And he tells the Rebbe how the polar bears get muddy and how you bathe the polar bears and he has a book and how you shower polar bears and there's zookeepers that take care of the polar bear. And the Rebbe was talking about polar bears. And we left, and my wife turned and said, you know, there's something very special. Something very special about people who have no idea who they're talking to. Like, you're talking to the Rebbe. So for all the other Hasidim, they're shivering in their pants when they come to the Rebbe. You San Diegans, you come in here, and there's another guy you're talking to. And it's finally one time where the Rebbe looks like he's happy to talk to people, because they're not terrified to talk to him. Resh Lakish had this similar relationship with Rabbi Yochanan. He wasn't afraid of him like everybody else was. And when Rabbi Yochanan looks for one study partner after the next, at a certain point he says, O chavuta, o mituta. Hashem, either give me a chavuta or kill me. Unfortunately, the story didn't end well for Rabbi Yochanan. But from here, we see that crucial in the path of Teshuvah, and it's a good thing that Rish Lakish is teaching about Teshuvah, which is to accept, accept where we come from. Stop hiding. There's nothing to be ashamed of. I am who I am today. And the second that those of us, especially those of us who come into the community, into the Ben-Milash, especially those of us who spend any time on the outside, to be able to bring with it the challenges, the, the objective viewpoints, to not be quiet because we have much to contribute to the community that only hears itself. Hearing, wow, you're so great, you're so amazing, you're the best. Elish Lakir says, in Source 1, on page 1, I would have the PDF that I sent out by email. I also attach it to the Zoom link uh, on the, in the Google Classroom. So if you go to the Google Classroom, you'll see it at the bottom of the Zoom link. Amar Resh Lakish, Resh Lakish says, Gedolah teshuvah she zedonot na'asot lo kishgagot. Teshuvah, 
is so great, and I prefer not to use the word repentance because I don't actually know what repentance means in King James English, but teshuvah means whatever teshuvah means, is so great that zidonot, again, another word I'd like not to translate, sins, iniquities, they sound really bad, but uh, that zidonot, things that people did wrong, nasot lo gagot. If they were done wrong intentionally, they become as if a person did them unintentionally. Shnemalek Hoshea says, Shuva Yisrael Adonai Elohecha ki kashalta ba'avonecha. Return to Hashem because of your avonot, because of the wrongdoings you've perpetuated against Hashem, because you've stumbled, you've made mistakes. Says the Gemara, Ha'avon mezidhu ve'kakari le'michshon. Any. When you have here a word, avonot. You heard me. You were mean to me. You, you did wrong to me. But it's okay. You made a mistake. What is it? Am Yisrael intentionally did avonot or their mistakes? That there's something special about avonot. When a person does real teshuvah, their teshuvah goes from being one thing from being an avira against Hashem, to actually some form becoming a mitzvah. So all the averot we did in our past, now we do teshuvah, they count for us as if they are mitzvot. Ultimately, there's a question, because the pasuk in Yechazkel seems to say that that's not true. The Gemara answers, lo kashia, it's not a problem. Kan me'ava, kan mira. There's two types of teshuvot. There are those who return to HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of Yira, out of fear. That Teshuvah doesn't work. It doesn't help. I mean, a person does Teshuvah, but they don't get the extra luxury of all the things they did wrong becoming now positive things for them. Those who do Teshuvah Me'ahava from love, Teshuvah Me'ahava, all of the Averot that you do become now Zichuyot, become merits. You see already in the Talmud there, by the way, if you go through the Talmudim, the Midrashim, you go through different Baraitot, you go through a number of different uh, places, you will find over and over and over again our Chachamim discussing how important it is to do Teshuvah, Me'ahava, from love. Because Teshuvah that comes from a place of Yira, from I'm afraid of HaKadosh Baruch I'm afraid of what might happen to me, that type of Teshuvah, I can't discount it as Teshuvah. But really it's not a, it's not a Teshuvah that brings a person to a wholly positive place. If you were to look inside of the Rambam's Mishneh Torah, the Rambam doesn't understand this idea of Teshuvah Me'ava as just a nice idea. When it comes to codifying the laws of Teshuvah, the Rambam is adamant that this is the proper way to do Teshuvah. I can't read to you all of the quotes that I brought from the Rambam, but some of them are very important. Let's see uh, in source 2. This is pretty much all of chapter 10. Maybe it's all of chapter 10 of the laws of Teshuvah. A person should not say, I want to learn Torah, I want to observe mitzvot because I'm going to receive all these blessings and rewards written in the Torah. So that I should merit to the world to come. And the reason why I won't do things that are wrong, Averot, because I don't want to be cursed with all the curses in the Torah. I don't want to be, lose out my portion in Olam Haba. Says the Rambam, it's improper to serve HaKadosh Baruch in this path. 
Oved Mira, a person who serves Hashem this way, the reason I don't do Averot is because I'm afraid of what might happen to me. I'm afraid of the afterlife. I'm afraid. Maybe I'm going to, what do they say? I'm going to boil in excrement for the rest of eternity. That's such a teachings like that. Says the Rambam, this person, This is not the way that the prophets worshipped Hashem. It's not the way that the Chachamim served Hashem. Don't get offended from me right now. Let me read it and then explain it. Just, I'm reading it. The only people who serve Hashem this way are the ignoramuses, men, Hanashim and women, and children, until they increase their knowledge and know how to serve Hashem properly on the path of love. We've spoken here before in the past. Whether it's a positive thing or a negative thing, in my opinion, it always has been a negative thing. Unfortunately, the Jewish people have gone through their fair share of galuyot. And in our galuyot, even though there are tremendous women who are Torah scholars, for much of our history, that wasn't always the case. And Jewish education for women was not always seen as an ideal. And I don't, I'm not happy saying that. It's not something that makes me proud to say that. But it's a st- it was a reality of life. As such, Amiharet, who were men who didn't see education as a value, went along the same category as women who were not educated, it wasn't seen as a value to educate them, and children whose mental capacity is only able to handle a certain amount of information. In the Rambam's wording though, instead of getting stuck and saying how does the Rambam lump together ignoramuses and women and children all in the same category, you should see the Rambam's ideal is that nobody should be in that category. If, if you would ask the Rambam what his ideal is, everybody should reach a place where their dat is, is great. Nobody should stay in a place where a person is an ignoramus. And this is very important whenever reading the Rambam, is to read the Rambam in the context of the Rambam. And to look for what is his ideal. His ideal is that nobody should stay in this level. Nobody should stay in this place. He simply is dealing with the reality. The Torah speaks in the way that people are familiar with it. The Rambam mentions in the next section, what it means to serve HaKadosh Baruch out of love, and he mentions, Not every Chacham, even the greats, have ever merited to reach a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch to this holy positive. His only Avraham Avinu was one of those famous Chachamim who reached that place. If you look with me on page 2, the Ramam talks about the need to fall in love with HaKadosh Baruch the kind of love is the person will become obsessed, love sick with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They can't stop talking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. All day long it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I don't mean in some, you know, uh, neo-Hasidic fashion where everybody, oh, it's all Hashem, everything Hashem. I've heard some people say things. When I push them to explain to me what it is they're talking about, they have no idea what they're talking about. But definitely, it's not this dry, godless Judaism that exists in so many places. But to be in a relationship, a passionate relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Says the, the Rambam at the end on page 2, and the whole book, Shira Shirim, Song of Songs, is an allegory on this subject. The Shira Shirim, anyone ever read Shira Shirim before? For sure, those of you who go to Sephardic Beth Knesset, you read Shira Shirim every week. Uh, and although, I don't yes. know, I don't know which Chumashim you guys are using in the UK, but the ones we have here, the art scroll doesn't translate Shira Shirim. They, uh, what do you have over there, John, uh, Daniel? 
But we've got plenty of art scroll. Plenty of art scroll, okay. That, that, uh, that, uh, that great art scroll safari, so-called safari. <laughs> don't, don't even get me started. So we have... We have a. Uh, you know, Ellie Mansour is involved. What could be wrong? I know, I'm being recorded. Be careful. Safari <laughs> Slytherin do not uh, translate um, Bjarsharian. Like, I've seen it, uh, like, many Safari Slytherin on in many languages, they always skip the translation of Bjarsharian. I think the art scroll, Chumash, even has an introduction about how inappropriate it would be to translate Shir HaShirim uh, properly. Shir HaShirim is a love song. It's not just a love song. It's a, it's a very graphic, very passionate love song between two lovers who are loving each other and are actively in the bedroom, out of the bedroom, everything to do with love between two people. This type of relationship that Shalomah HaMelech is envisioning between us and the creator of the universe is the ideal of the Jewish people. This Avinu, Malkenu, Avadim, this language of kings and, and fathers and slaves and servants, there is place for that in Jewish tradition. But the ideal connection of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is just as much as I'm in love with the one who loves me, that is my relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Shir HaShirim was intended to teach us that. And this, this attitude of not translating Shir Hashirim because it is so sick and it's so perverse and so so filthy. How could people speak this way? So I'll tell you the truth. I'm assuming that Shalom HaMelech, when he wrote Shir Hashirim, he knew that Jewish people should have healthy heads and that when they read a love poem, they should obviously not be thinking about uh, uh, sick things. But somehow, I guess, the the whole Jewish people reached this place of they're all their head is in the gutter. must be. That's what they assume about us. So either they don't translate it or they translate it in such a way that it doesn't mean what it means. It would be so valuable to think about HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a relationship. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has his left hand under my, under my head and his right arm is pulling me close into his embrace. Imagine if that was our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Ramam says that's the point. The point is to reach a place to be in a passionate relationship, an intimate relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Though that's not necessarily the topic of my shi'u today. If you look on the left column on page 2, Again, the Ramah mentions that sometimes there are people who are not able to be taught, at least initially, this type of relationship with the Kodesh Baruch Hu, but that they should be taught slowly. What does he say? Um, on the left side. Ma'at, ma'at, slowly, slowly. We teach them slowly, with, with patience, with grace, how to reach a place of love with the Kodesh truly love HaKadosh Baruch Hu, out of love. They serve Him out of love. The bottom of page 2, the Rambam mentions a real problem. Part of why we don't love HaKadosh Baruch Hu is because we don't truly know HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Rambam's first uh, words of his Mishneh Torah is that a person have, has to know, know, Yodea. A person has to know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu exists. Instead of using a word like believe, a word like imagine, he has to know. Harav Kapach, I once heard a recording of him, in which he said, this is a real problem. According to Harav Kapach, the Rambam says that if people believe in Hashem, but they don't know Hashem, they're not intimately familiar with how HaKadosh Baruch Hu works, 
why HaKadosh Baruch Hu does what he does. How HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at us. How our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu should be. Who is HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Where is HaKadosh Baruch Hu? People who are not familiar with those details, says Rav Kapach, not me, says Rav Kapach, that those people are essentially idol worshippers of yesterday. Because they've imagined a God, and now they worship that God. And if you imagine a God and worship Him, it's no different than anyone else who imagines a deity and worships that deity. In order for us to be in a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we have to love Him. And says the Rambam, The only way you can love HaKadosh Baruch Hu is to know HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's why in the Torah, whenever we talk about a couple being intimate with each other, what does it say? Adam, Adam did what with Chavayishto? Adam yada et Chavayishto. He knew her. He knew her. It's, it's a, 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 two people who, who are engaging in some promiscuous sexual activity don't experience the love that two people who know each other, who love each other, who care for each other, experience together. You, you can claim you're in a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You can claim that you're always hanging out with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But to really be in a relationship where you love HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you have to know HaKadosh Baruch Hu first. As much as you know Hashem, that's how much you will love Hashem. The Rabbam keeps talking to us over and over and over again about how important it is for us to love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that brings me to my letter that I wish to share with you today. Rabbi Yosef Masas, who we've spoken about in the past, we're going to speak about many times in the future, had to deal with many new things that were facing rabbis who were approaching the modern world for the first time. They were the trailblazers. They had to deal with issues that people before them never dealt with. You know, I know that some places that I've been to, and I mentioned a rabbi, like Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, people get very upset. Oh, he said this and that, I don't like him. I don't know, I don't know what people's beef with Rabbi Moshe Feinstein is exactly. I, I know some of what people would like to share with me. But I can tell you that when I read his writings, Compared with the writings of his colleagues who were living in Israel in the same exact generation, they had no idea of what was going on in this country in the 50s and 60s and 70s and what these rabbis who were here were on the ground trying to cope with, trying to deal with, trying to figure out what do we do with the generation. We never were asked this question before in, in, a, in a shtetl in the yeshiva yesterday. In the world of Sfarad, you had in different countries, in different places, different rabbis engaging with, with the modern world in different places and different ways. You have the Iraqi Jews who are dealing with the British, are dealing with the Alliance schools of the French. You have the same thing in Yemen. Again, the different communities that are coming in, different forces that are coming in. You have Algeria and Morocco, North Africa that are contending with also their own influences, leading Jews in different directions. And those Chachamim, that, that generation that first was tasked with blazing a trail, has so much wisdom we can learn from or either not learn from at all. So the first, Rabbi Yosef Masas is dealing with almost a first generation of Jews who until today were all pretty much religious. If not religious, then traditional, were involved in the Jewish community. They didn't have dual loyalties between the Jewish community and another value system. They were just part of the Jewish community. How much they did or didn't do in their own home, maybe that's always been an issue. But for the most part, the Jewish community was together, it was involved, it was intact. If you recall in the past, I mentioned to you about Rabbi Israel Moshe Chazan. He dealt with this issue many years before other Chachamim dealt with this issue because he was in parts of Europe where that became an issue much sooner than that happened in other countries. Rabbi Yosef Masas now is also dealing with a second issue. The second issue is 
he has colleagues whose attitude towards Jews who are leaving the fold, whose attitude towards Jews who, by the way, one of the biggest struggles in any Sephardic home for sure, but I'm certain in Ashkenazi homes as well, of yesterday. All of my grandparents who came to Israel were, both my grandfathers were Rabbanim, were all Tamlichamim. And almost all of their children, almost all of their children, didn't stay on a path that you would consider to be the path of their, their parents. And there was a willful and malicious attempt on behalf of Israeli society, the Israeli government, the army, whatever affects the, the school system, I'm not here to discuss that issue, who, who willfully pushed and pressured your parents, your grandparents, they were primitive orientals, they were religious people with superstitions, they, whatever they told them, to push them as far away from the traditions of their forefathers. And you're dealing now for the first time, a generation of, of Chachamim, whose children aren't interested anymore in their path. I'm not talking to you about religious people. They're Chachamim, upstanding leaders of the Jewish community, chief rabbis, whose children are not interested. They're being drawn away by something else. And then you have the category of colleagues, the well-intending, well-intentioned, well-meaning colleagues of Rabbi Yosef Masas, who think, well, I have a great way to get people to come back to Judaism. Let's scare them straight. Let's tell them all what's going to happen to them if they don't get on the straight and narrow. They say, yo, you don't want to keep Shabbat? You know what happens to people who don't keep Shabbat? You don't want to eat kashyavot? Guess what's going to happen to you in the afterlife? Start talking to them about uh, all kinds of punishments in the afterworld, Gilgulim, reincarnations of coming back. I was once teaching in yeshiva. I quit from the yeshiva very quickly after I started teaching there. When I was living in Yerushalayim, there was a yeshiva for American students. And the rabbi there, I mean, he must have been a, a lunatic. I have another word for him. But his, his whole career was spent on, every time he would see one of the boys committing a crime. You know, what is a crime in yeshiva? Poor 18-year-old kids. What crime is it? They uh, stayed up too late past curfew. They used a cell phone in the middle of class. He would tell them, you, you're a Gilgul, you're a reincarnation of a cat because you were a thief in your previous life, you did this and you're coming back here and that's why I'm going to uh, make your life miserable to atone for you. Crazy things. Not much crazy things. This rabbi has three or four blogs dedicated to his uh, uh, verbal and emotional abuse of people, yet he's still considered one of the most influential educators in the English-speaking world today. With my eyes, I saw some of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. This is an attitude that exists in the world to scare people. And the Rabbi Yosef Masas finds that all around him there are rabbis who are getting up to scare the generation into observance. And this is his answer. This is his response. In Source 3 on page 3. This letter is written to uh, Rabbi Avraham. Eshkola Kofir. A word of praise to this rabbi. Mikhtav Kivodo, the honorable, your honorable one's letter. If you remember, it'll be Yosef Masas likes to write in rhymes, at least the beginning and ends of his letters. Mikhtav Kivodo, Kibalti Bemoado, I received your letter at the right time. Veotsem Hatirdot at Siburiot Vechidot, 
and both my professional and personal obligations. There's some spelling mistakes. I typed this up yesterday and I did it a little uh, faster than I normally would. And I had to move homes, apartments from one place to another. So aside from my personal obligations and my professional obligations, there was an extra problem and that was I was in the middle of uh, moving. They held me back from answering you a proper, giving you a proper response to your letter within a reasonable time frame. I owe like a thousand people emails like this. You know, you've reached out to me and uh, it must be because of my personal and professional obligations that I haven't moved the apartment, but oh, let's throw it in there. I haven't answered you. So if there's anyone here who's ever reached out and you're still waiting for an answer, please forgive me. The, I'll get there. B'zad Hashem. And now I stole a little bit of time to answer because I feel like it's already bordering on disrespect that I have not answered you yet. There's a famous letter from one of Chachmei Ashkenaz. I don't remember who. Could be the Chadam Zofel. In which he writes how it was Erev Pesach and he, he, he had to write back this rabbi a letter out of respect. And he said, I'm literally hiding right now in the corner of a closet writing you this letter. And the letter ends abruptly and he says, my wife found me and she threw me out of the room and I just have to send you the letter the way it is right now. Uh, so he's stealing time from his professional and public life to write this letter. And this is what I need to tell you. I read your letter. It's full of all kinds of terrifying ideas. And calling for people for suffering, all the suffering they'll go through for doing Averot, as consequences to people for their improper actions. Yeah, I read your letter and it's terrifying. The things you're saying are going to happen to people who don't do this and don't do that. It's scary. This way, not only am I certain that this approach to Judaism won't bring any good in its wake. Not physical good and not spiritual good. The hefech to the contrary. It'll literally weigh a person's body down. It will put pressure on their heart. It will confuse their minds. You could lead a person to mental insanity with this approach of yours to Judaism. You will drive people crazy. If you may have ever had the pleasure of engaging in some people, with some people who have been involved in this type of Judaism, you almost feel like you're talking to somebody who, who, whose sense of logic has, has disappeared a long time ago. They're, they're, they're just not there. They're not able to have this conversation with you in a rational fashion. This person will ultimately cause damage to themselves and to other people. Like happened to a number of people who were trapped in the net of your type of Judaism. I'm terrified. I'm ter- not only do I not believe that this approach to Judaism will work, I'm certain that it will lead people to craziness. You're going to create problems that you can't fix. Emotional problems, physical problems. He mentions nezek, latzmo, lachirim. Problems in this person and other people. If I had a, a dollar, maybe ten dollars, 
for every couple who came to me, who yesterday didn't eat kasher, and yesterday didn't keep Shabbat, and yesterday were a happy-go-lucky, loving couple who went on vacation together and had children together and had a wonderful life together, who went to some seminar, some uh, Jewish outreach initiative, and came back to me much three days later, asking me if they should get divorced. Because she doesn't want to cover her hair, or he doesn't want to wear a kippah, or one of us doesn't want the kid to go to a Jewish school. Baruch Hashem, I'd be able to visit you once a month in the UK with that money. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. Yesterday they were a great couple. Yeah. Hashem Ishmo. This is a couple that was great yesterday. And now, all of a sudden, boom, let's get them divorced. Why? Because this guy who now became a tzaddik, he saw him, now he's the, he, he knows everything. His wife doesn't want to cover her hair. Or her husband doesn't want to go to Minyan three times a day and go to the mikveh before he goes. Whatever, whatever problem happened now in their life. He says, this kind of Judaism will cause nizik, not just to yourself. You're not just damaging yourself. You're going to damage all those people around you. I was in Yerushalayim. Uh, I can't. Seven years ago, about seven years ago, I was sitting in the Mamila Mall in Cafe Aroma. Uh, Aroma Cafe, I don't know if you've been familiar with the Mamila Mall. I'm sitting outside, I'm having a meeting with somebody, and next to me, the table over for me, there was a couple, a nice uh, older Israeli couple, who kept looking at me. At a certain point they said, are you a rabbi? I said, yeah, can we talk to you? I said, sure, pull up a chair, welcome to the meeting. I stepped into my office, and they pulled up a chair, and this couple came to tell me they have a son, the youngest son of theirs, who after finishing the army, some rabbi found him at the Kotel, got him to go to this yeshiva, and overnight he flipped out, became religious, and put on a hat, and grew peot, and a beard, and whatever else he does. And he doesn't even come to their house anymore, he doesn't eat their food, he doesn't, he doesn't visit them on Chagim and Shabbaton, so whenever they want to see him, they come to Yerushalayim to see him. And I said, how do you guys feel about that? If so, these are two regular Israeli Jews, and the mother tells me, you don't understand. My parents were religious. There is nothing happier for me than the fact that my son has found Hashem. That's what she tells me. My son found HaKadosh Baruch makes me so happy. I said, so what's the problem? They said, we came here to Yerushalayim because he doesn't have any money, this kid. And we saw that in the pictures his suit looks ripped and dirty. So we came to buy him a new suit. And that was last month. We bought him a new suit. We saw him today. And all the suit's buttons were cut off. I said, what happened to the new suit we just bought you? We, we just got a brand new suit. What happened to it? Why is it? Where did all the buttons go? I told him, he says, Mom and Dad, well, you don't know anything about Shabbat? I don't hold of the Eruv in Yerushalayim. And my rabbi says that the buttons that are attached to your suit that you don't use, you're carrying on Shabbat with him. And so I took a knife and I cut off all the buttons from my suit. And this mother and father, they're in their tmimut, and they're, they're wondering, are they the crazy people or did their son lose their mind? Who, who's the crazy one here? And I cannot tell you the, the there's two pains here. There's the pain of a person who really, she's, he's lost his mind, and the fact that such a Judaism exists, that he could go there in the first place. But there's the pain that I see a couple 
who really is happy for their child. They really want their child to be religious. They don't have anything anti-religion or religiosity. But idiots like this person's rabbi ruin that love that people have for Torah Mitzvot. Because they see religious people who are crazy. And they say, if that's what religious people are, then I don't want my kid to be religious anymore. And that's a responsibility that people carry. The nezik, the damage that is caused, the damage is real. The Rambam has a commentary in his Mishnayot. Masechet Sota, Rabbi Yoshua says, there are four types of, of people who destroy the world. One of them is a chasid shoteh, a righteous, I don't know the right translation of a shoteh, a righteous fool, a righteous idiot, I don't know what you would call him. A righteous fool probably is what I would. And the Gemara says, what is a righteous fool who is guilty of destroying the world? Anyone know the classic case of a righteous fool? Didn't you say it's um, it's a one that doesn't uh, help a drowning woman because he's worried about drowning? Yeah. Very good. He sees a woman drowning in the river. Yeah, I can't save her. Why? I can't touch her. You know, Shomer Nagia doesn't want to touch her, and she drowns. This person, it's not just that he's a righteous fool. He's from the four Mevaleha Olam, the destroyers of the world. That's what Akash Baruch calls this person. The Rambam says in Yano, let me explain to you the the definition of what is a righteous fool. And I'm quoting by heart, so I don't know that all my words are correct. The Rambam says, the idea behind him, hagzama is the exaggeration. And being overly particular in mitzvot. Until he becomes uh, um, uh, repulsive in the eyes of people. People see this person. They see this person's religiosity and it turns them off. It makes them sick inside. Says the Rabbam, these type of religious people are those who destroy the world. Rabbi Yosef Masas is terrified. What will happen if this type of Judaism takes over? I, I would hate to tell Rabbi Yosef Masas that so many of the things he was terrified of actually came true. Maybe if we'll get a chance before Sukkot, Rabbi Yosef Masas has a famous letter. He talks about those who go check Etrogim with uh, magnifying glasses. It's a, there's people like that in the world. They, they go check the etrog and this one and that one. They spend hours and hours and hours hunting it down. Hundreds of dollars on etrog. Rabbi Yusuf Masa says, which he calls him. He says, I don't have the words. His words are, are sweet like sugar. I mean, they're not sweet if you're, if you're the guy with the magnifying glass. But he says that every Motzei Yom Kippurim, every uh, eve after Yom Kippur, Yotzim haburim michorehem, all of the ignoramuses crawl out of their crevices that they've been hiding in the whole year. Each one of them with a magnifying glass in his hand, and they set out to go buy etrogim. And he makes fun of them, the words he says about them, Hashem And he says, You know what's crazy about these people? If we let them check etrogim with magnifying glasses, and Ladavar Sof, they'll begin to check everything with magnifying glasses. And this is his words. He writes, They may even begin to check vegetables with magnifying glasses. That was his fear. Like, what will happen to the Jewish people? And I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, if Rabbi Yosef Masas was here right now, I would tell him, Rabbi Yosef Masas, what you were so terrified of 40 years ago, it's, it's, the, it's not just the norm. It's If you don't check with the magnifying glasses, you're the crazy person. But that's what terrified him. Where will Judaism go if nobody keeps it in control? The proper way, the proper path, is what King David said in his Tehillim, 
את הלך בתום לבבי בקרב ביתי. I walk in my house naively, innocently with my heart. I don't, I don't look around too much. ואך בזאת האדם ממסגרת ביתו תהיה דעתו מעורבת עם הבריות. And what do you do about children? What do you do about family members that live with you? That are not, that are not coming anymore to the Bet HaKneset, that are not, that are doing whatever they want in your house. You should מעורבת עם הבריות. Be involved with people, as people. לא לעשות כמעשיהם אשר לא טובים חס ושלום. Don't do the things that they do wrong. רק לנהוג בהם מנהג דרך ארץ. But you still have an obligation to treat everyone as a person, as a good person. You know, this might sound um, so obvious, like, of course, it's your child. You treat them like a nice person. It's not so obvious. And my wife and I, three years ago, four years ago, I started, I was writing a book. I was in the middle of writing a book. I'd never published that book. And I, I, two weeks, I'm actually, I didn't leave my library. I was in my computer in my library all day long, writing, all night long. And my mistake, my wife's entire winter break vacation was spent with me in the library. It was a mistake. It was a mistake I've made in, a, in my relationship. And my wife was so happy that I was writing, she didn't bother me. Much left me alone. And um, when I came out and I had this, this whole manuscript in my hands, I was look what I have. And she's like, you know, I'm going back to work today. And it was one of those moments in which I realized, hey, I messed up. And we had a fascinating conversation in Baruch Hashem. And ultimately, I said, let's go somewhere, at least for, for the next few days. We'll take, I'll, let's go somewhere. And the only place that I could afford on a last-minute rabbi salary uh, trip was a trip to Las Vegas. Don't get so excited. It was uh, Las Vegas uh, from San Diego was not very far. And so we were able to get on a plane, go to Las Vegas, uh, you know, over the five-star hotel. Everything's very cheap because they expect you to spend all your money gambling. But I don't have any money to gamble. So, Baruch Hashem, Las Vegas is, is right in the middle of a... Beautiful. It's near Hoover Dam. It's near Lake Mead. There's, there's some really beautiful, Mount Charleston. There's some beautiful nature around there. And my wife and I spent three days there, every day in a different uh, nature reserve. In the last night we were there, we said, let's, we, we were in Las Vegas for three days. People can ask us if we saw anything in Las Vegas. Let's go check out Las Vegas. Let's walk on the Strip and see what's in Las Vegas. So my wife and I went for a walk up and down Las Vegas Strip and we, we walked back in the lobby of our hotel. There was, there's a casino in the lobby of our hotel. And over there we see some, some Hasidic kid, long pilled, but you know he's in disguise, long pilled and a baseball cap, so you would never know that he's Jewish. And uh, we see him, and my wife sees him, she see, he's my wife, and she goes over and says to him, Shalom Aleichem in Yiddish, and they start chit-chatting Yiddish, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and it turns out he's 17 years old, he's floating around Las Vegas, his parents don't want him at home, blah, 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 okay. Uh, we said hello, he took my number, and we went back. Fast forward three or four months, that was winter break. It's Ere Pesach, like two or three days before Pesach, and I get a text message. And this guy says, listen, I don't know if you remember me, I'm that Hasidic kid from, from Las Vegas that you met at the casino. He says, is there any chance that you have an extra room at your table, extra seat at your table for me for Pesach? And uh, I said, for sure you could come for Pesach. Why not? Do you have a way to get here? Yeah, figure it out. I said, don't mean to ask, but you know, you have, somebody has like 23 siblings. I mean, you don't want to be with your family for Pesach? At least some of your family for Pesach? He said, I'm not welcome in my home. For my parents don't want me at home. And it was one of those moments which I felt, listen, I don't know the kid, and I don't know what he did wrong, and I don't know what his crimes were, and I'm not, I'm not sure what made him. Uh, I, I figured that it, it, it wasn't so grave that it warrants throwing a child out of your life entirely, that, that your underage child 
should be floating around random cities in America. You don't know where they are. You don't know where they're sleeping. You don't know who's picking them up. You don't know who they're... You don't know. It's your child. says, You're not exempt from. These people are your family. Be the first one to greet people. Don't be angry. What are you watching TV in my house on Shabbat? Greet everyone with a smiling face. We learned about Rabbani Yochanan ben Zakai last week. The Talmud says that even the, the idol worshippers weren't able to say hello to him before he said hello to them. And the idol worshippers of then were idol, were, were, the, the non-Jews of then were idol worshippers. So why did he greet everyone so happily and so happy to see all these people? They were idol worshippers. Because Derech Eretz comes before the Torah. To be a human being, to treat people as a human being is more important. You can't be a Jew before you're a human being. That's also a typo. How much more so for a Jewish person, whoever he is, Dati or Chiloni, religious or not, and if you see a Jewish person who does even one mitzvah, you should be thrilled when you see a Jewish person doing a mitzvah. Someone who comes to the Beda Knesset, they drove here. Their kippah, they don't even have a kippah. They come to Beda Knesset. Now hopefully you all live in communities where that's normal, that's okay, and someone comes and they pray and they're, they're with you in the Beda Knesset. But there's some communities in the world, you won't be able to enter the door. We had a, a lady come here once, a visitor in San Diego, came through. Came with a, she walked to our lady section with a talit and a kippah, bakon mikolkon. And not one person in the said anything. Who cares? She came here to pray. The Rambam has a famous letter in which he says that when Jews come to the Berakneset, Mama, she writes these words, ligzol mitzvot, to steal mitzvot. Why would you send away somebody if they're coming to steal mitzvot? Let them play everybody, everyone who wants to come steal mitzvot. You see a Jewish person who does one mitzvah, instead of saying, well, you're not good enough for me, you're not religious enough, or whatever, you're not enough for me, you're doing a mitzvah. Yalla, come, I want you here. Chizel, feishanim, it's thousands of years, v'anachon nigonim begalut, we're suffering in the galut marav achzarit, in this bitter and cruel exile. Umuravim tarovet gdolam, we're mixed in with the world. Umsubachim betoch tocham shlomot haolam, we are living in the inner innards of the nations of the world. And all of our business dealings, and all of our education, and all of us have studied together with the rest of the world, we're involved in the culture of the rest of the world. We study in their schools. And all of our children, when they begin to speak, they speak in the non-Jewish language. Says, we have no weapon. There is no weapon in the Jewish arsenal to prove to people the truth of Torah, the prophecy of our prophets, and the wisdom of our sages. We don't have that weapon. You were Daniel, you're saying something? Why? I can't hear you. 
I've heard so many Kirk guys say it's completely possible. <laughs> to prove Hashem's existence, that's right. You know, Minastam, if you could prove HaKadosh Baruch Hu's existence, then nobody would have any free will in the understanding of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He says, Everything is dependent on emuna. Now you can, I'm intentionally not translating emuna. And like a righteous king says, All of your mitzvot are emuna. And a righteous person will live with his emuna. Listen, emuna has no power. Emuna has no strength, it has no power. To force people into the faith. Only somebody who this is already, they were raised with it, they know it, they have some connection to Emunah. Emunah can help them. If you have a person who is in the frame of reference of Shumirat Torah Mitzvot, they try to observe Torah Mitzvot, they care about Torah Mitzvot, they care about Akash Baruch and you see if they do something wrong, you tell them, hey, it's in the Torah, you shouldn't do it. Shulchan Aruch says you should do it this way. Then they might listen. But to go find random people in the street and to throw the Torah at them, to Bible thump them, to say, hey, don't you know the life that you live is against the code of Jewish law? I'm not leaving the code of, what, what do I have to do with the code of Jewish law? Your attitude to the world assumes that everybody lives within your frame of reference. Notice he doesn't call these people not religious. He says those who grew up on the knees of those who were a little weaker in their lifestyle of Torah mitzvot. Or even somebody who was raised in a home of righteous, pious people. But they were educated in the schools of one of the nations of the world. That could be elementary school, that could be preschool, that could be high school, could be university. The emunah that he has slowly becomes more and more difficult. Until very often the emunah is pushed out entirely from this person's heart. And if such a person was raised even in a home of tzaddikim, but because they had a struggle with their emunah, a, a correct struggle, they're struggling with a, an important concept. And now they don't believe anymore, now they don't observe anymore. So this person is not guilty of anything. They're like a tinok ben hagoim, like a child who was taken captive as a baby into another nation. What is he? He's Jewish biologically, but he doesn't know anything about the Judaism. If nonetheless you see this person do a mitzvah, he puts on tefillin, she does a Pesach Seder, he, uh, whatever mitzvah he does, puts a mezuzah in his house, asks you to come help with the mezuzah. She asks if she can come study Torah in the Bed of Midrash. These are people who otherwise are not involved in mitzvot. That's a tremendous thing. The only feeling you should feel about such a person is, wow, I'm so impressed, I'm so happy, I'm so excited. Sometimes the feeling that I have is that the preachers that are out there thumping the Torah at people and telling them how bad they are, how they're going to go to Gehenna, how everything they, they do is terrible, who are they talking to? 
You notice they never talk to the Jew that would never walk into the Knesset. Those Jews don't listen to them. They're not talking to the Jewish people who couldn't care less about the fact they're Jewish. Those people don't log into their YouTube channel. The people they're talking to are our brothers and sisters who care enough about Judaism to go to a Torah class. They care enough about Judaism to be in a better Knesset. They care enough about a Kedosh to engage in some way with the Jewish community. So the Jewish community isn't hating on the people who actually want to have nothing to do with the Jewish community. The Jewish community is driving away the people who are, are trying. They're trying in every way possible to maintain some connection with the Jewish community. It's, it's, it's the cruelest thing to do. It's picking on the weakest people in Am Yisrael. Meaning, it's not fair. Who are you picking on? Oh, you're a kofer, you're a heretic, you're a criminal, you're a rasha. Who are you talking to? All of this guy's friends are at the pub right now. All of this guy's friends are working today in their law firm. They don't come to Berakhanazim Yom Kippurim. So now this guy drove on Berakhanazim Yom Kippurim, so now you're going to scream at him because he's the only opportunity you have to scream at this person? So she came to the Berakhanazim, she wasn't dressed the way you want her to be dressed. So now you feel like you have some sense of entitlement. To I'm not talking about the rabbi, the rabbi shouldn't be looking at her in the first place. I'm talking about the ladies in the ladies section who are going to lynch her when she comes to the Berakhanazim. Where is she right now? She's not with her friends, she's not at work, she's not in a shopping mall, she's in the ladies section of a Beda Knesset. So Yosefan says, are you normal? These are people, the only feeling they should ever feel from you are, I am so unbelievably proud of you. That's the only thing I can tell you. Because I'm believe, how do, how, I don't even know why you're here. I'm not sure why I'm here. But you know, we have a very active Giyur program in our Kina. And I always tell people in the Giyur program, I say, you know, the responsibility that you have is for the Jewishness of my children. Because for every Jew who sits in my Beda Knesset who has no idea why I'm really in the Beda Knesset, here I have a room of 5, 10, 15 people at any given time who grew up out there and made the decision to come here. And Rav Al-Khanan looked and said, Abba, why should I be Jewish? I don't have an answer for him the way this person has an answer for him. This person knows how exciting it was there. And they have the answer. And if you see a Jewish person do an Avera, it doesn't make a difference which Avera you see them do. Don't hate him, don't uh, disregard him. And he goes here in a very interesting tangent about Averot and how difficult it is to live a life without Averot. And he mentions how bad it is about Jewish people who speak bad about those Jews who do Averot. If you look in the bold lines, the bottom of page 3, there's a, like, it says, Uvuchen Mechoyavim. Looks like three lines above that. The physical being of a person is created in such a way that it's intended to rebel against the Creator of the universe. How much more so when you live with the Jewish world that's mixed in with the world, that's involved with the culture of the world? What do you expect? You know, once I was in a shiur with our parents. Oh, I didn't see what time it was. I was in a shiur with our parents. And our parents was talking about Amida. No, it's pretty I'll, I'll, I'll correct you. Somebody was talking about someone else. Someone else came to give a shiur, and they were speaking the shiur. How you know when your yetsahara comes and attacks you, 
It's right when you take the three steps forward to start your silent Amidah, your silent prayer, the room goes quiet, and your Yetzirah starts thinking about business, thinking about work, thinking about your bills, thinking about your whatever, your, your mind, thinking about your vacations coming up. That's your Yetzirah, you've got to fight your Yetzirah. Uh, Peretz got up to speak afterwards, and he said, why are you convincing everybody in this room that something that is so natural for a human being is a Yetzirah? But it's not a Yetzirah. When a room goes quiet, people start to think about things. That's the nature of a human being. When you go into the shower, it's quiet. Now you start to think. You go lay in your bed. You go lay in your bed. So all of a sudden, you start thinking about all the things you didn't think about the whole day. Because there's quiet in your life. When my kids go to sleep, it's like all the lights, the red lights turn out of there. I remember all the things I didn't do today. Why? It's a Yetzirah? No, it's quiet. But why do you convince people that they're bad when they're just human beings? Why does everything a person do wrong, you have to convince them that they're the lowest, the low life in the world? Just, you're just human. That's all you are. Accept that you're human and do your best to work on it. But if you look at yourself as some piece of scum, so then that's the way you're going to work on yourself. And it's not fair to do that, Am Yisrael. Says Rabbi Yosef it's an obligation of ours to judge everyone. It doesn't really mean to judge favorably. To rationalize, to justify the things that Am Yisrael does. And someone who doesn't do that, the consequences that they will pay, the rabbis, spiritual leaders, who speak ill of Am Yisrael, those are the people who are guilty of a crime. Like who? Our prophets. Has anyone here read the book of Hosea? I just gave a shiur about it recently uh, in our Rambam class here. It's, a very, it's not a very long book, Hosea. It's a terrifying book. Hosea speaks bad about Am Yisrael. Hashem, why don't you just abandon these people already? Look how bad they are. And Akalosh Bachu's very creative consequence to Hosea, I don't know that it's something I would think of, but a very creative consequence. How dare you speak ill of Am Yisrael? Eliyahu Navi speaks bad about Am Yisrael. There are certain things you just cannot say. These are Akadosh Baruch Hu's children you're speaking about. And the famous Chacham Rabbi Shlomo Ibn Dinan. Nida. Anyone know what a Tzumer is? Tzumar? Daniel, you, uh, other than Daniel Isaac, you know what it is. You just don't know that's what it stands for. Daniel gifted me a set of books that I've been using, Baruch Hashem, called Tzurba Merabanan. Tzurba Merabanan is this acronym here. Tzurba Merabanan is a, a, a member of the rabbinate. Tamir Chacham. He excommunicated a rabbi. Al Shamar al Yehudei Tzorfat Ra'im V'chataim. He said about the French Jews, oh, they're, they're evil sinners. You know, they're not religious. He said about them that they're bad because of that. Excommunicated him for the Jewish community. Who are you? You're going to speak bad about Am Yisrael? He says, there's a lot to say about this topic, but I don't have time. I see that today I'm not going to finish my source sheets. At least let me finish the source of the of Rabbi Yosef Masas. On the bottom left of page 3. Also in the home of a person. It's crucial that the parents of the home should not set standards of chumot, 
of stringencies in the home. Dikdukim, hakpadot, all kinds of strict rules of Judaism. It doesn't have to be that way. You will ruin the peace in your home like that. You'll make your life bitter. And the whole purpose of life is to be happy. And if you make life miserable, so you're losing out on your life. You know, when I was a... Al-Khanan was a much younger. I took him to a rabbi. He passed away since then. His name was Rabbi Eliezer ben David. He was a very interesting. I don't have any relationship with him aside from I once was in his office. He ran a network of very Haredi yeshivot and kolim in, in uh, uh, Israel, Elad, other places. He was a, a student of the Stipler. He's a Persian Jew, was a student of the Stipler, Rabbi Kanievsky. Very unique company. I had a friend of mine who was a Talmud of his, and you have to come, you have to come, you have to come. So I came into his home, his office, he had an LA, like a home office there. I came to him with my family. And I said, what am I going to, what am I going to ask? I'm going to ask him for a bacham, a kid should be tzaddikim. Bless my children should be tzaddikim. So he tells me, you want your kid to be a tzaddik? I said, yes. He said, stop being so religious. No, when I was going to meet a Persian rabbi, the student of the stipler, not what I was expecting him to tell me. I said, what do you mean? He said, you are a rabbi, your wife is a psychologist, social worker, no, she's like, a social worker, stop being a rabbi, tell her to stop being a social worker, just be a father. I said, what does that mean? He said, your kid wants to eat food without a kippah? Who cares if your kid wears a kippah? Your kid wants to eat something without a bracha? Don't make your kid in your whole life say a bracha. Your kid doesn't want to wear tzitzit? Let him go without tzitzit for the rest of his life. Who cares? This is your job? You hear me, Chava? Something disconnected. He said, your job is to make your children happy. To make good human beings. Let a Baruch do the rest. And the truth is, it wasn't a chidush, it was a chidush to me to hear from him. He actually told me that of all his children, they all married different illustrious rabbinic families except for one. He had a son who could not find a shidduch in Israel, nothing worked for him. And he ended up taking, a, you know, he ended up taking him to Europe to date, maybe in Amsterdam if I'm not mistaken, where there he found there was a family, there's the family, none of the kids went to Jewish school, they all went to public school. He said, and this daughter-in-law of his, who uh, was raised her whole life in public school, that she's the only daughter-in-law of his that when he needs to ask someone to pray for him, he goes to her. And when he wants his kid to get brachot, he goes to her. He said, the only tzaddeket they have in my whole family is this one. Why? Because she was never forced. She was never forced in her life to do things she didn't want to do. She loves HaKadosh Baruch HaKadosh is similar when he used to raise his children. You know, tzitzit. You have to wear tzitzit in halacha? But I wear tzitzit. Don't, uh, last week I won't. You don't. Why, why don't you have to wear tzitzit? Because you only need like the tzitzit if uh, you wear a full a corner garment. But, if you don't wear a full garment, you can go without. Very good. Only if you have a four corner garment, you have to put tzitzit on it. But you don't have to wear a four corner garment to put on tzitzit. So some days it was hot. It's summer. Harapel's children didn't want to wear tzitzit to yeshiva, so he was like, "Take off your tzitzit, go to yeshiva." And always the principal would send them back from the yeshiva. Oh, you sent your kid, to, Rabbi Peretz, sent your kid to yeshiva without tzitzit. Don't you know they have to wear tzitzit? Certain that his daughters, when he sent them to seminary, they came without stockings. You know, they don't need to wear. And it was always a war, a war of why do you have to shove things down people's throats? Why? For what purpose? What are you going to get out of it? 
is going to ruin Shlom Beto. He says, the whole life is meant to be besimcha, like it's written, you have, there's a consequence for not serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of joy. You don't want people to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu because they hate HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He says, I have so much to say about this, but remember, he's stealing time. He doesn't have enough time to write about this. Really, I would love to answer all your questions, but I don't even have time to eat or drink. And he ends off with a bracha. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu give us the strength that it takes to be patient and wait for holy things to happen the way they should. Amen. And then he writes one last, one last uh, bite in that letter. And the whole letter that he wrote to him, this, this whole thing about all the consequences that will happen to people and all the things that will happen in the afterlife, all of that is written down in many books of the Chachamim, many books of the Mekubalim, many books of... He didn't make it up. What are you, just crediting everything that I believe in? All the books that I... I'm just reading from a book. Says Rabbi Yosef Masas. Top of page 4, top right. Be very careful from wild imaginations. Even if you find these ideas written down in many books, Shekol mechabrehem hayu gamhem ba'le dimayon. All the authors of those books who wrote about all these things will happen to people, they also had wild imaginations. Adonai Yishmochem Vishmerenu Amen. May HaKadosh Baruch save us from this. Amen. Rabbi Yosama says, what am I going to tell you about all the rabbis who said the thing that you said? They were suffering from a wild imagination. By the way, it's not the first time that Rabbi Yosef Masas talks about what in his words he refers to as Choli Hadimayon, the, the illness of imagination. Um, I actually think, I think, I don't know if I'm right, but when I gave that shiur in, in um, London, that I brought a source there that he spoke about the people who suffer from Choli Hadimayon. And sometimes you argue with, with Jewish people who are afraid of something, or they're, they're need to do a mitzvah a certain way, and you can never change their mind because they, they're afraid of what's good. They, they suffer from some religious insanity. And that there's nothing you could do with people who suffer from religious insanity. The Choli Hadimayon. Now really... The rest of my sources were intended to deal with this last point. Rabbi Yosem Masas is a nice letter. But what about all those books? What about the Mekubalim? What about all of those Gilgulim and the punishments and the consequences and the afterlife? And what about all of those ideas? What, are you going to just say, hey, write them off? So I wanted to show you, I know Daniel's not in his head, I wanted to show you that even in the writings of the Mekubalim themselves, these ideas are rejected entirely. It's not somewhere that I usually go. But it's somewhere that I think is important to go. I'm not certain if that will be my show next week, if I'm going to leave you to study these things on your own. But sources 5 and 6 are two very powerful pieces. One of them from this book, Ma'im Chaim, of the Ben Ishchai Lavishon. The Ben Ishchai is a, is a very unique personality. And if you're able to extract from in between the lines of his uh, really, really uh, high-end Kabbalistic pieces, you can extract the everyday, day-to-day Musar the Ben Ishchai was giving, there's some really interesting works there. One of them is this piece here in Ma'im Chaim, in which he speaks to a person who says, I want to do Teshuvah, but you know, according to all these uh, Kabbalistic ideas, I'm going to go to hell forever. And if I don't fast, and if I don't roll in the snow, and if I don't do whatever I do, a... he discusses that. Rabbi Moshe Kordovero, the Ramak, 
who is one of the great Mechubalim of Tzvat, deals with this whole concept of, is the Biosef Masas really a lone wolf? Is his attitude of just accepting and just loving and just being close and maintaining normal human relationships with all of Am Yisrael, is that really something that Rabbi Yosef Masas made up? Is he alone, a loner in this? Uh, someone said about me when I quoted that letter that he pulled out some random letter for some rabbi in Morocco out of context. Oh, it's not a random letter. It's not just out of Morocco. And it's not just out of context. There are numerous Chachmei Israel that wrote such letters. I have a series of shirim on the internet called Pagans Among Us in which I go through some 50 or 60 sources which all discuss this, this real war underlying the Jewish surface. But how do we deal with different types of Jews in Am Yisrael? But the bottom line is, the last thing I would tell you before you come in front of a Kedush Bechul is that you should figure out how to judge people around you. You should judge them this way. Rabbi Yosef Masas says judge them that way. The whole purpose is not to judge anybody. Right now, you are about to embark on a journey of Teshuvah. You, me, all of us. We're now singing Selichot every night. Chatanu lefanecha, rachem alenu. For those who are not singing Selichot yet, in a few weeks, you'll say Selichot that you didn't say Selichot for the whole month. And over there, you'll say Selichot. Also, Shema Kulenu Adonai Adonai Chuzvah HaShem, we're trying to do Teshuvah. And what do you do then? You have to make sure that Teshuvah that you're doing is a healthy Teshuvah. It's a teshuvah that comes from a place of ahava. I love myself and I love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the teshuvah that I'm doing is not because I'm terrified. It's not because of some crazy concepts that I believe in. I'm doing a teshuvah because this is who I really am meant to be. And I accept, I accept that I'm a human being. And I accept that the struggles that I have are not because I'm some evil, wicked person. I'm not a rasha. I'm just a human being who struggles. Like all the other human beings in the world who struggle. And I want to get over my struggles. I want to change things in my life. But I'm not going to destroy myself in order to help myself. That's a highly unusual way to help oneself. You will never take yourself apart. You know, this critique I have in general on everybody. Anybody who tries to do anything that changes themselves. So there's people who are constantly on a weight loss journey. And they're always trying this diet and that diet and the next diet. And I'm not here to talk. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not your, I'm not your doctor. I'm not anything. I can't tell you that any change in your life that is motivated by hating yourself will never take you anywhere good. If you think, I stand in front of the mirror and I look ugly, I can't handle looking at myself, so I've got to change it. If that's what's motivating you to lose weight, if that's what's motivating a person to, to go under the knife and change their nose or their eyebrows or whatever, whatever else they want to change, if, that's, if self-hatred is motivating you, it'll take you nowhere good. The same thing is true with Teshuvah. Says the Rambam, the prophets, the Chachamim, nobody desired to serve Hashem in a way that came from fear, from hatred, from I, I can't handle how bad I am. Everybody strived for the Ma'alot HaNevi'im chachamim, for that lofty level of Teshuvah Me'ahava, that even Aresh Takish, who started his life as a bandit, was able to say, that type of violence against myself, it's not for the Ben Midash. I love myself. I'm so proud of myself that I'm still going to call myself Aresh Takish. And that's why this year was titled Teshuvah and not Terror. Our job is not to terrorize ourselves. We're not here to scare ourselves straight. We're here to love ourselves straight. To care so much about ourselves and our families and our children. And the messages in Rabbi Yosef Masas' letter, if you have an opportunity to go through them again. The importance of being happy. The importance of not instilling chumot in your home. To know, know halakha well enough. To know what the people around you are able to do and not able to do without you having to get upset all the time and why are you not this and why are you not that. Anam ha'aretz, 
an ignoramus is the greatest terrorist on earth. They terrorize themselves. They terrorize their families. They terrorize their wives and their husbands and their children and their parents. It's like the guy who cut the buttons off his suit. It's like the person who does all kinds of terrible things to their children in the name of love, in the name of be more religious, be better. That's not the way, that's not the approach. You cannot possibly compare that teshuvah that comes from a place of love to teshuvah that comes from a place of fear. May HaKadosh bless us all that we enter into these holidays, these yamim no'aim, these awesome days. Days of awe are days of fear. Yamim no'aim are HaKadosh Baruch Hu's no'ah. It doesn't mean HaKadosh Baruch is scary. HaKadosh is awesome. It's full of awe. We're entering a time where we can be impressed, be in love. So head over heels with HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we love HaKadosh Baruch Hu like the greatest lover loves the person. May we all together as a, as a group reach that place and ourselves for the sake of our families, for the sake of Am Yisrael, for the sake of the entire world to show people that a healthy Torah, a healthy Teshuvah, a healthy Tefillah, they exist, they're real, they're possible. We can attain that Teshuvah if we believe in it. We believe in ourselves, we believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I believe that we could all do it together.